Well, good morning, church. Listen, I know that uh, many of you are already planning on joining us tonight for our family business meeting. Uh, in case you didn't know, visitors are always welcome. We have nothing to hide when we discuss family business. We will have a fellowship meal and we'll be taking the Lord's Supper. So come tonight. If you needed one more reason, though, can I just celebrate God's provision in this church? Uh, one of the things we're going to start doing in January is reporting on every single missions dollar that came out in the previous year. Get this, church. It's so exciting. First Baptist Wimberley. Our members and visitors gave $236,955 to missions last year. That is amazing, okay? We set a goal back in November. Uh, we were pushing for our Lottie Moon offering and also the SBTC Reach Texas missions offering and a local ministry here, the Crisis Bread Basket. We set a goal to raise $75,000 and you guys, especially pushing hard at the end, raised $86,963, there we go, yeah. So listen, I just get excited about that. Uh, in particular, if you put our special offering, designated offerings, our budgeted missions offering, uh, we gave north of 17% of our budgeted money away to missions. That's amazing, church. And we need to continue to hold our things loosely and say, God, where do you want to direct the funds? Because they're yours and they're for your purposes. All right. So we get to report on that tonight, but I wanted to mention that also because some of you may not know uh, that our deacon ministry has been having uh, more regular meetings uh, than in the past. And uh, they have elected a new deacon chairman. His name is John Dunn. And tonight, yeah, praise God for that. Uh, tonight we're going to pray over John. And so right before we take the Lord's Supper, uh, we're all going to lay hands on him. Uh, other uh, deacon officers are going to be elected in the future, but I just want you to know that the, the leadership that lasted for so long and they persevered through so much did a fantastic job. And having uh, a new chairman is just going to refresh and uh, bring some more active deacon ministry. So we're excited about that. Come tonight so we can lay hands on John and pray for our, our deacons in the future, okay? That's all I gotta say. We're gonna pray before we open to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're praying for a pastor I just met down the road. You might know uh, a large church in New Braunfels called Oakwood Baptist Church. Pastor Ray, here's the exciting thing. They're reaching thousands of people for the gospel. That's a win for the kingdom, Amen. It's a win for the kingdom. Let's pray for uh, that church, for our brothers and sisters there, for his leadership, and specifically this. The challenge as a church gets larger, as a church gets larger, it also has to get smaller. Now, that happens through small groups and discipleship. It happens through accountability. It happens through meeting not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in each other's homes. And the way for that church to stay healthy as it gets larger is that it would also get smaller in its relationships. Let's pray for that specifically so that they would be uh, glorifying God and maintaining a healthy church that lives on mission. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. It's exciting uh, to be here with our church family, uh, to be in the room, to see exactly what you want to do with us. We pray as we open the word, God, just unashamedly that you would move in power. God, you've got to do something bigger than what I can do, that's for sure got to do something bigger than what any of us can do on our own strength. Holy Spirit, come with the word and 
connect in our lives that we would be changed, that we'd be different, that we would be um, transferred from one degree of glory to another as we are conformed to your image and long for the day that we're face to face with Jesus. God, I do pray for Pastor Ray and I pray for Oakwood and I thank you, God, to hear the amazing reports of what's going on there. I just ask, Lord, that they would uh, be laser focused on mission. There's so many things going on, but, but would telling and, and teaching and preaching and proclaiming Jesus, the hope of the world, be on the front of what they do. And as they grow, would they also be able to get smaller relationally uh, through fellowship and, and disciple making and um, accountability and these types of things where brothers and sisters bear one another's burdens. God, I pray that uh, for that church, that you would continue to use them, that your kingdom uh, would advance through that local church. And we pray your grace and blessing on Pastor Ray, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Membership Matters, it's our last sermon in Membership Matters. We have covered so much, right? Church is family. Church is on purpose, right? When membership matters, it's on purpose. We know what our purpose is, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We covered a very tricky uh, passage in Matthew 18 last week, talking about um, restoration and correction. I do want to say this, uh, as we open today, we're looking at Hebrews 10, but uh, just an FYI, if, if you got this book, I won't embarrass people by saying who's already read it, okay? But we wanted to make this available to you. It will continue to be available to you, all right? It's a, a great little book that talks about the culture needing to change, specifically in our country, where membership to a local body needs to be a priority. Now, let me clarify something. Just because I put a book in your hands, just because our ministry staff puts a book in your hands, does not mean that we endorse every single thing in that book, by the way. I don't know if you offer books to your friends, but if you offer a book to a friend and they read something that surprises you, I hope they don't think, oh, she actually thinks that, <laughs> right? So if you read something in here and you have a question about it, talk to me. Talk to one of our ministry staff. I had some really good conversations this past week with people that did just that. I want to make one very specific example of something that we will not do here. Uh, in this book, it seems that you could read it to promote only church members take the Lord's Supper. I don't believe that. It's a celebration of the gospel, right? We are, we are longing for Jesus to return. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, there are some things that need to be said as a warning. Uh, but I do not think that closed communion or only church members taking the Lord's Supper is something that is, is beneficial for our church or beneficial for the gospel. And so uh, that's one example of something that you might see there and say, I don't, does Pastor Aaron, is it, what's, what's going on there, right? If you see something like that, come and talk to me. Got it? Here's where this book is helpful. Over and over and over it says, in our culture, we don't value church membership. We don't value being a part of a local church. Uh, we don't value fellowship. We don't value thinking about which church are we going to go to when we get that new job. We just think about the new job. We don't value uh, the, the fellowship of the saints more than activities on Sundays. And over and over, these authors give biblical evidence why that needs to change if we're going to be a healthy church in America. That's why I put this book in your hand. Got it? With that being said, I do want to talk about uh, a famous Baptist F word. Maybe we can have some brevity after that announcement. You know the one I'm talking about, this F word? 
In fact, there's three famous Baptist F words. We're going to have one tonight. Food. <laughs> All right. Coming from an old student pastor. Fun. That's a good Baptist F word. Hopefully you know the last one so far if you have a bulletin. It's fellowship. You guys with your minds. Get your minds out of the gutter. I'm not cursing from the pulpit. It's fellowship. So we look in Hebrews chapter 10 to define this idea of fellowship. And more than just hanging out, more than just Christians getting together. To answer this question, what changes because we've been with other believers? What activity or conversation happened that needed the Holy Spirit to have that happen? Was it, was it genuine, bearing one another's burdens? Was it, was it prayer? Were you serving in the strength of the Holy Spirit? Were you speaking wisdom of scripture because the Spirit is your wonderful counselor? Were you talking to someone about Jesus? We need the Spirit for all of those things. And when we gather, we should be saying, all right, what does the Holy Spirit need to be present for so that we can accomplish genuine fellowship? Not just hanging out, right? I, I like hanging out. Uh, it's good to hang out. We can hang out with other Christians, but we should do more than just hang out. We should have fellowship. Hebrews 10 tells us what that looks like when we have genuine fellowship. And I'm talking about specific in the context of the local church, that when, when little pockets of people, whether it's small groups or friendships, gather in the context of our local church, we are gathering, proclaiming the only way that we have unity is because we are bought and purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that affects the way that we hang out with one another. It affects the way that we have fellowship with one another. So let's look at this idea. I'm going to read a larger part of the context starting in chapter 10, verse 19. It talks very specifically on how we can have that because we are bought by the blood of Jesus. Listen to the text, and then we're really going to drill down here on uh, verse 24 and 25. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So to bring a little bit of context here, the book of Hebrews uh, if you don't already understand this theme, is all about Jesus being better. A lot of Old Testament references to understand that there were things happening in the Old Testament that pointed forward to the coming Messiah, but Jesus is better. Jesus is better, right? One of our four Christocentric or Christological passages in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter one, talking about Jesus being the exact imprint, the radiance of the glory of God. He made purification for sin and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is better, amen? amen? And then it goes on. It says Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. All the way through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. 
Even the last couple chapters before we get to chapter 10, there's a comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. And we're reminded in chapter eight that this new covenant is better because it's enacted on better promises. Jesus brings in those promises. God writes the law on our hearts. He forgives our iniquity. Why? Because Jesus has bought and paid for that. Or even in chapter nine, that, that the priest would have to go in over and over and over and over and make sacrifices for sin, atonement. But Jesus, our Savior, made a sacrifice once for all. Jesus is better, amen? And then in 9, 22, this classic verse that some of us have memorized, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So when we start in this passage in Hebrews 10, verse 19, and it says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, it's building all the way through the book of Hebrews, this argument that Jesus is better. His blood is worth enough to pay for our sin. He is a better savior. He's a better high priest. Jesus is better. Therefore, we do a few things in this passage. Because Jesus is better, we do three things. One, we draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Did you see that? Verse 22. Because Jesus is better, what do you do? You draw near, being confident, not in yourself, but in Christ. Number two, because Jesus is better, we hold fast our confession. We hold it, right? We don't let go. We hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. We're not tossed to and fro by the winds or the waves. We hold fast. Why? Because Jesus is better. He is our anchor, as it says in the book of Hebrews. And then lastly, and it's so interesting when we pair these up on the same platform. We draw near, we hold fast, but we also do the third one, which is what we're gonna focus our sermon on today. We stir one another up to love and good works. Why? Because Jesus is better. Because Jesus made this possible. Because Jesus purchased fellowship. Because Christ has done all these things, we as Christians, and particularly in the context of the local church, we have a responsibility to look out for each other, to encourage one another, to have iron sharpening iron, to love and care and serve. Just as important as us drawing near personally, absolutely. Just as important as us holding fast our own faith is looking out to stir other people in our church family, stir them up to love and good works. Do you see that maybe in a different light when you compare the context? I hope you're starting to value genuine, authentic, biblical fellowship. I hope you're valuing that. There's something that uh, Dan and I started to do uh, right when I first got here. Uh, He and I have done a lot of the membership interest courses. We're just doing one-on-ones or one-on-fews right now or or interviews. Pastor Mike's starting to do that as well. Uh, But we've been looking at the example of a old, like almost 200 years old church covenant. And say this is not the church's church covenant, but this is an example of the church covenant. And it really lays out expectation. And one of the things it says is we will not neglect to meet. That's a commitment. If you're gonna be a church member, don't neglect to meet. And so I asked the question, and I've done this with every person that I've interviewed. I open the Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, and I say, let me read this for you. What do you miss if we neglect to meet? And I'll read specifically verse 24 and 25. Listen in your own mind. What do you miss? It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we answer right from the Bible, the thing that we miss is encouragement. The thing that we miss is stirring one another up. And so if we don't prioritize being together with our church family, what we're doing is saying, I don't need encouragement. I got this on my own. I don't need to be stirred up. I'm good, man. I've checked all the boxes and I, I, I'm, I'm all right. I hope that kind of spiritual pride does not persist in our church family. I need to be stirred up. I need encouragement. So we have two commands and a warning here. The first command is this, stir one another up. Stir one another up, right? There, of course, there's commands in verse 22 and verse 23, but we're primarily focusing on this last idea of consider how to stir one another up. So here's the command in the passage. It's one another. It's another one of those examples where we are told the way that we obey this scripture is that we plug into a local church and you're committed and partnered and on mission and you look out for one another. And one of the things you do is say, man, I feel like maybe they might be getting a little uh, stagnant. They, they might be getting a little cold. They need to be stirred up. I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write them a note. I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna text them. I'm gonna invite them over. Let's go out for coffee. I think, I think maybe God in humility could use me to stir them up a bit. Do we have any cooks in the room? I'm not the greatest cook. There's certain things I make like spaghetti, pancakes, all right? I'm not the greatest cook, but occasionally, Krista will say, hey, will you stir this? <laughs> Just make sure it doesn't burn, right? We got like a stew going for hours, and she's like, I gotta run an errand. Would you just stir this thing? Because if you don't stir this thing, there's a layer of burnt, stagnant grossness at the bottom. We don't want that with our meal, right? Just about every five minutes, just come stir it up. Could you please do that? Listen, church, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but when you fail to have fellowship and you fail to meet, you know what you are? You're like that gross, stagnant, burnt stuff at the bottom of the pot. Man, we gotta be stirred up. We can do better. When a Christian falls out of fellowship in the local church, they have a tendency to get stagnant. They have a tendency to get cold. They have a tendency to get hard-hearted. We're gonna see a passage later in Hebrews chapter three. It says that we are all tempted to be hardened by the deceitfulness of our sin. Don't let that be our church. Go stir them up. Say, I love you too much to let you get that way. I wanna stir you up a little bit. And what does it look like? It's twofold. It's stirred up in love and stirred up in good works. So we read this passage already in this series, being stirred up in love. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? The way they will know that you're a Christian is the way that you love. Chapter 13 in the book of John, a new commandment I give to you, you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how are you stirring up your brothers and sisters to love God better and love people better? I wanna be about stirring you up to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love people, to lay down your life for people. And when we hang out, hopefully there's genuine fellowship happening and I'm stirring you up and you're stirring me up. 
When was the last time you can remember that conversation in your mind? Maybe someone was sharing a meal with you or you were sitting around a table with a Bible study or you were out doing an activity that you love and it's another brother and sister from this church and they stirred you up and you left that time saying, man, I wanna love God more. I wanna love people more. The way they love people, man, it's just encouraging to me. This should be happening in genuine fellowship. And we read Philippians chapter two, right? We as a church, individually and corporately, should be like shining stars in the universe, the contrast of a crooked and depraved generation that is dark and evil. But if Christ is in us, our light should be beaming. I need other people to encourage me. Aaron, let your light shine. Love God and love others better. Stirred up in love, but additionally being stirred up in good works. Did you see it right there in the passage? Verse 24, let us consider to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, I would never preach from this pulpit that your good works earn you righteousness. Not true. Read Galatians, read Romans, read Ephesians. It's not how it works. But if you are saved by grace through faith, we do have good works, Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them to the praise of his glory. So when we have fellowship with other believers and they say, man, how are you honoring God with your life? What are you doing that others might see your good deeds and give glory to your father who's in heaven? An aspect of genuine good fellowship is when we ask questions like, man, what, what's God been up to recently in your life? What kind of answered prayers have you seen God do? How, how are you growing in your time in the word? Or I know that you wanted to share the gospel with your family member. How's that going? Hey, man, I, I'm really excited about that ministry you're serving in at church. Tell me more about it. Questions like, how have you been fulfilling the Great Commission lately? And how is God using your home to be a light among the people that you live around? And who are you influencing for the gospel? And how is God using you to advance his kingdom? These are normal questions in a healthy church. These are normal questions when we have good fellowship. We're stirred up to love and we're stirred up to good works. Man, let's be intentional, church family. Hebrews 10, 24, let's make sure we're fulfilling this command to stir up one another to love and good works. Second command says, do not neglect to meet. It's so easy, yet so hard, right? There's, there's busyness of schedule. There's, there's all kinds of things that try to steal our time away from the Lord individually, but from each other collectively, from this genuine fellowship. And it says, do not neglect to meet. You know why? Because when you neglect to meet, you can't be stirred up. So often in our culture, people think they're plugged into the church when they come once a month. That's, that's not true. <laughs> you can't be plugged in when you come once a month. It should be the opposite. You shouldn't miss more than once a month, right? And when we miss, it should be on a time that we've got scheduled like an annual vacation or somebody's sick or family we've got to go see, right? Not just because I want to sit at home in my PJs and sip my coffee. Because when I fail to meet, I'm not getting stirred up. 
I'm not getting encouraged. And so I just, I wonder. I wonder how many people are really thinking about this command when they make a priority of Sunday morning. It's important. We're told to do it. You know why? Because we're built for community. We're not built to be Han Solo Christians thinking, I don't need anybody else. We are built for community. So where should we be meeting? Our primary corporate worship gathering. Absolutely. This is important. But where else? In small groups and in each other's homes, in discipleship relationships, in accountability. And I'm sensitive to this. I was praying before I preached I realize that there's going to be someone in the seat hearing this sermon and saying, I would love to be better connected, but no one's reached out to me. I would love for some of my best friends to be a part of this church, but nobody invited me to coffee. No one's ever invited me to their home. Man, Pastor Aaron, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't think people want that with me. Sometimes you got to take the initiative. Instead of waiting to be invited, why don't you invite? And if you're inviting and you're getting some kickback, would you please call your ministry staff? We would love nothing more than for you to be better connected to this church. Don't let it be because Satan's trying to isolate you and keep you away. But if you're feeling discouraged, maybe you don't have the personality that I do where, man, I'll call anybody. I'll just invite anyone to do anything because that's how God wired me. I get it. Not everyone's the same. But if you're sitting, struggling alone, saying, I just don't understand why people won't invite me. Would you please, please not be afraid to just ask for help? Because we would love to help you. I want to share an illustration. I won't use any names, but I was doing student ministry. This is when I first got to know uh, Mike and Laura Gibbons. They're Sunday school teachers in our student ministry. And our our church staff, the pastors and the ministry staff, we had a huge effort to pursue church members that were not engaged in our church family. And by the way, this church has the same thing. And downline, we will have a huge effort to reach church members that are not engaged actively in ministry. But I was assigned a a couple uh, grandparents. I didn't know them. They didn't have any students in the student ministry, but I was assigned to them. And so I started praying for them. I started praying for opportunity to get to know them and reach out to them. Finally, what it took was uh, an in-home visit because phone calls weren't working. And so I went with someone else on staff and we knocked on the door and just the husband was there. He was very cordial to us. He invited us in and we talked. We talked about the word. We talked about the need for community and the need for fellowship. And it came out probably half an hour into the conversation. Yeah, my wife, she's, she's not gonna come. There was this unresolved conflict and, and we waited too long and now it's awkward and we just don't want to mention it. We don't feel comfortable. And so probably because the Holy Spirit was leading me, I said, you don't even have to come to this church. Just come to a church that's preaching the gospel and standing on the word. But if you don't do that, come back to your church family. Do one of those two things. Here's my phone number. Call me. Let me know how it's going. What do you think happened? A couple months later, I have no report. I don't know what they're doing. I called them again. Yeah, we haven't really visited other churches. I said, can I help you? I'll help you find a church. No, no. 
can I come visit you and your wife? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Come pray with us. So we go. We have a wonderful conversation. The hurt comes out. The tears are there. We pray. And I say, listen, y'all, just come. Like, get over that awkward hump and come back to your church family. By God's grace, they come back. They're engaged. They join a small group. They get fellowship. And I don't even remember what the conflict was about, but it was water under the bridge, and they're connected to the community, community again. Praise God. It doesn't stop there, though. Check this out. Their adult son and preschool granddaughter start coming to church with them. Uh, quickly after that, after the son feels plugged in, the granddaughter loves the children's ministry and loves coming to church, her mom tragically dies. It's very hard on the son, more difficult on the little girl. And you know what they did? They found their hope in Jesus. They stayed plugged into the church. The church bore their burdens, carried them through. There were all kinds of ways that people in our church helped out, brought meals, wanted to be there in the absence of this mom. The grandparents were overwhelmed at the way the community worked out. The, the son, genuinely time showed up and was just like, no expression on his face, but he's here and granddaughter's hearing about Jesus. It's not just that uh, a couple got re-engaged in our church. It changed the trajectory of their family because son gets plugged in and granddaughter gets to grow up learning about Jesus. Now we could have done this. Man, we just, we lost that couple. Hopefully someone encourages them. But we did what we did with a conviction that membership matters. And praise God, it doesn't always end up that way. In fact, more often than not, people give the stiff arm, right? But in this case, the spirit was moving and God's grace is there and they plug back in and it doesn't just have an effect on them and their walk with Jesus and the way that they grow. It had an effect on two generations down that that little girl gets to grow up hearing about Jesus. Amen? It's worth it. It's hard work but it's worth it. And we as a church family need to be very intentional not to neglect to meet together. We take that command seriously. There's actually a third command, three commands, one warning. Pardon for that misspeaking. Here's the last one. Encourage one another. Look there at verse 25. Don't neglect to meet as is a habit of son, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That all the more is very important. We're gonna get to that in, in the warning. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this phrase reminds me of that passage I referenced earlier, Hebrews chapter three. It says this, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. But there's a connection in Hebrews 10 where it says, encourage one another even all the more as you see the day. Your English translation probably has day capitalized. Yes? Show me a hand. If you're looking and day is capitalized, right? It's talking about a very specific day. It's judgment day. That's why it's capitalized. It's a proper noun there, right? 
This passage in Hebrews 3 gives us a similar understanding. It says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that your confidence would be firm to the end. There's something happening in the end that we need to be aware of, and we certainly will be aware of it. There's so much that I could preach here about warnings in scripture, and that is another sermon for another day. I firmly believe, John chapter 10, that if you are genuinely in Christ, you are safe in the hand of the good shepherd. I would never say anything different. Right, we have an assurance of salvation because our promise doesn't result on our works, it results on his work. But at the same time, there are these warning passages and we should take them seriously. So what does it do? It says encourage, exhort. And that word exhort, it's a strong word. Like, hey, I just want to encourage you, man. Like, how are you doing with Jesus? That's like encouragement. Exhortation might be stronger, okay? Especially if you see someone tripped up in sin. It's not just the time they say, hey, you should probably think about... um, talking to the Lord about what's going on in your life. No, no, no. That's not exhortation. Exhortation is when you grab someone by the shoulders and you say, wake up. This is serious. Stop walking in sin. (laughs) You can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and it could harden you so much so that you might fall away. That's a serious warning. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Grab them by the shoulders and shake them until they are convinced I need to be running after Jesus. Why? Like I said, because the warning is serious. Hebrews 3 says you could be so hardened by your own sin that it's bad news for you. I took this passage really serious in college. I was just working through uh, just a, a besetting sin that kept coming back to me and coming back to me. And I said, I've got to have everyday kind of encouragement. Not just weekly when I meet with my accountability partner. So we decided we were going to talk every single day on the phone, pray, or at least send a text message. Say, how's it going? Are you running hard after Jesus? Are you putting off sin and putting on Christ? And for about 18 months, every day, that was a tool that God used in my life to find victory. I needed that encouragement. Some of you might need that daily encouragement. So ask someone in your church family to encourage you that we would fulfill this command to encourage one another. I don't know if you like candles. My wife likes candles. She was burning one yesterday. There's a bunch of teenage girls at her house and she was burning a three wick candle. So much so that all the wax, like three wick, that's a big candle, right? All of it was liquid. It smells really good. That's why I love when my wife burns candles because it makes the house smell good, all right? But you know what happens when the flame goes out? That wax gets cold and hard. It needs the flame, right? It needs the flame to smell good. It needs the flame so it's becoming liquid and it's not cold and hard anymore. In our encouragement, we need each other. We're that flame, right? Outside of that encouragement, we get cold and hard. And so I just ask you, are you receiving this bigger picture that fellowship, genuine fellowship, where we're stirring one another up to love and good works and we're encouraging one another, and we are making a priority to meet. We're not neglecting. We're making it a priority. Why that's so important? Because we're not supposed to do it alone, church. You need other Christians. I need other Christians. And so right now, here's a challenge. Very specific, easy one. 
You know someone in your life that's out of fellowship? Don't like nudge someone next to you, okay? (laughs) But right now, take 15 seconds and write down their name. This is the person. I know who they are. They're out of fellowship. Write down their name. Start praying for them. I'm literally going to wait so you can write down their name. Put it on your phone. Make an alarm. Put it in your notes. Write down on a sheet of paper. Stick it in your Bible. Text it to yourself, right? Sometimes I need to do that. Text it to your own number. You get a text message like, who's that from? Oh, yeah, I'm praying for that person. This week, consider how you can encourage them, how you can invite them over, how you can say, let's go grab breakfast, or let's go on a walk, let's go get some coffee, let's meet up. That way you can be the one fulfilling this command to stir up one another and to encourage one another. I pray that God uses that mightily in our church family. I want you to see the warning, three commands and a warning. The warning is be ready for his return. The day is drawing near. And when Jesus comes back, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm not counting on my action to give me any kind of righteousness or forgiveness or grace. That would be a misunderstanding of the gospel. But I am hoping that my action gets a response from my king that says, good job. Proud of you. You were ready. You heeded my command. You took it seriously. You changed your priority. This reference of Jesus' return is all over the pages of the book of Hebrews. I want to read chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. It says this, Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you ready for his return? Jesus is coming back. That's why we hold firm our faith. We hold fast to the promise without wavering. Why? Because we want to be ready when Jesus returns. How would you waver? You would get out of fellowship and start to waver. That's how it works. Satan isolates us. Now, I told you, I I believe Jesus holds us firm to the end, but I also think we're told all over Scripture, make sure you are firm to the end. Hebrews chapter 3 says, if we hold fast. Even the book of Revelation to the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3, over and over and over. You know what Jesus says there to John? To him who conquers. Only the ones who conquer are there on the last day. Now, listen, I'm not conquering on my own strength. I am trusting in Jesus, my King. He is my anchor and my strength. He is my hope. And he's given me the Holy Spirit that I might conquer, but I better believe that I won't be there on the last day unless I do conquer in Jesus. Amen? So it's a warning. Are you failing to conquer? Are you failing to persevere? Are you in need of genuine, authentic fellowship where when you walk away, something's different about your walk with Jesus? I told you it's another sermon for another time to talk about these warnings, but I do believe they're very real warnings. They're real warnings that God wants to use as a means to make sure we get our hiney in gear. He's the one that's gonna keep us. He does it by all kinds of ways, by giving us the Holy Spirit, by putting us in fellowship with other believers. 
He does it because Jesus holds us firm in his hand to the end. He does it because we claim a promise like Jude chapter one. He is able to present me without stumbling in front of his presence with great joy. But another way that God does it is he gives us very real warnings that we perk up our ears and pay attention. That's a very complicated subject about the book of Hebrews. I'm happy to talk to you about that. We will preach on that down the line. But I do need you to know this. If you're outside of fellowship, be warned. Because there's danger of your sin hardening your heart. You know what the protection is? The protection is our fellowship. (laughs) That's how God designed it. (laughs) That we should be with one another and fulfill the one another commands. That's the protection to make sure that we don't fail. Yes, all those other things I just said about God's promise and perseverance and the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But don't ignore the fact that one of those ways that we're protected is being in genuine fellowship with other believers. I want to show you something. It's, it's the last thing we'll do here. But I want to show you that this, the strength of being bonded together with others. I've asked Cody to come up here. Cody Anderson, he teaches one of our small groups for young families. Give it up for Cody. Now, here's the challenge. We've only got a couple minutes to do this, but here's the challenge. I think with the parameters that I give you, using both hands, knees, whatever you want, that you cannot break this limb. I try to get a straight limb. This is the best I could get, okay? I think you cannot break it more than two times. Do you think you can break it more than two times? Now, you didn't ask what the parameters were. Here are the parameters. Okay, you always need to try to break it towards the middle of the total length, but then both pieces come together, right? This has a curve, so I would just trust your integrity that you would try to get them as together as possible. It's not just four pieces in a line that you break, it's four together, right? Bundled together. So you make the first break in the middle, you put it together, make a second break, put them together. If you can break all four, you are a strong dude. What do y'all think? You think you can do it? All right, I've done this before and I provided gloves. I failed to do that for you, so your man hands uh, are just gonna have to take it. But here it is. I think the first break's gonna be rather easy, but I don't think you can do more than that. That one doesn't count. <laughs> Come on now. Think about the parameters that I gave you. Oh, that's, that's one, okay, this is good. Uh-oh, so this is the two that I thought you could do. I think you can do it, man. Don't hurt yourself, please. You got these four kids to take care of, your bride to provide for. I think you can. You can get this one. I just don't think you can get another one. Give it up for Cody. I think he can do it. The strong man. Oh, wow. That was so close. Ah, okay. Thank you. broke one. See? So here's the point. That's perfect. Thank you, Cody. Give it up for Cody. He did break one. He broke this one, right? So had this been by itself, guess what? It's toast. But you put it together with the strength of others, right? The same principles in Ecclesiastes. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We need each other, church. (laughs) That's the protection, right? Even had he broke this one, I think if it was a little bit longer, this one ended up longer. I don't know how that worked out. But I think he could have done that. But you put all four together, there's no chance, man. This is strong, right? And this might be an inch and a half total uh, in diameter, that's not too big. I could break that. If I was having a fire in my fire pit, I'd break that multiple times. But when you put it together, it's stronger. We are stronger together. That's why we need each other. That's why we need fellowship. We need the protection of other believers. Cody's a lot stronger than me. 
but he couldn't break those two pieces together. It's not because he's weak, it's because it's stronger together. I just ask you, do you prioritize fellowship in that way? Do you see the need? Let's be the kind of church where fellowship happens. Let's be the kind of church where membership matters. And we're bringing this to a close, right? We understand family, purpose, correction. We need to understand fellowship. And I just want to boldly say that your first step into fellowship with a bunch of other believers is to make sure that you're in Christ. If you came here this morning and you would say, I'm not a Christian, I don't even get what you're talking about. Can I just tell you that the best news in the world is even though I sin and rebel and my sin equals judgment, Jesus died and rose that I could be forgiven. He offered me his righteousness. He said, I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. And the first step is to say, I turn from that sin. I trust in you, Jesus. Then you're one with the Lord. After that, you become one with other believers. You can experience the genuine blessing of fellowship. Church, family, would that be so important to us moving forward?